This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. Delaware Surf Fishing, that's right. DS Custom. Great stuff, man. DScustomtackle.com. Full website full of great gear and setups. If you need floats, rigs, mm, swivels, well, a whole bunch of the other gear that you might use, yeah, they got you covered. And you can go back on the website, get in uh, into the weeds. There's a lot of different things. There's more that I'm not telling you about, but go take a look at the website sometime and you'll see some really good stuff. There's also mm, the capability to be, I don't know, supplied as a rig maker. It's hard to sometimes get these supplies. Well, they got you covered. Reach on out to them, dscustomtackle.com, asking questions. If you got anything you need, ask them. They can probably find it. All right, let's get into this. jumping on the plane that's right we're going west again and we're going to cali we're actually going somewhere kind of familiar to me which is really disturbing so we're going to san diego area and for those of you who haven't followed the show i used to live out in cali for a very long time i was stationed out of camp pendleton california from your lord 2000 until we left in 2017 so san diego is a it's a nice place there's some fun stuff there and there's some awesome fishing uh, SoCal is a whole world of itself. And if you haven't been, trust me, when I say Cal, SoCal is different than the rest of California, it really is. And today we're going to be talking with Worf TV. If you haven't seen it, WERF.TV on all social media platforms, it'll be tagged back on Finding Demo Surf Fishing. You'll be able to find it. But if you just put that into your search bar, you're going to get plenty. And the great thing is, is you're going to see who he is the way you should <laughs> because if you saw it any other way i would be butter and i'd be actually a little upset we were talking about a previous show so without further ado coach welcome to the show man what's good my man what's good <laughs> i love it so before we even ask questions i'm going to ask one here because they're you know new people are seeing this they're like what the hell what is this please explain the mask and how that came about so so, I mean, the, the real background with the mask was I got skin cancer 12 years ago. I was diagnosed with subdermal. I I had subdermal melanoma and nodule. No, 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 no. It was subdermal carcinoma and nodular melanoma. And they took a row out behind here that were tunneling in towards my spine. Um, I asked, I asked everybody that I came in contact with in healthcare. What can I do about this? You know, what do I do? And they said, well, there's really nothing you can do. You can't really protect yourself. The damage is already done. So believe it or not, back when Comfort Overcast was a thing, this was before most of these uh, fishing buff companies existed. I, I somehow won in a drawing or whatever. I submitted a picture of one of my kids with a spotted bay bass or something. And they gifted me one of these masks. Well, <clears throat> I started wearing it at work. I started wearing it all the time fishing. I started wearing it basically anytime the sun was up, I had the stupid thing on. They took they took the subdermal counts off my neck and they ran from the mid 80s and lower 90s down to below 10. So pretty much anytime anyone saw me out in public or out doing anything, I had I had one of these on. And so it got to the point where it's just kind of iconic for me to wear it. And I've asked the boys at the Mad Max Fishing Club and uh, 
uh, Submission Fishing Company and some of the other podcasts and the S San Diego Fish Guys, which is no longer a website, by the way. San Diego, SDA, SDFish.com is no longer extant. Uh, the owner ditched it, and all of us that were on there and imported all those tens of millions of hours of reports on there, we all got shoved off onto other platforms. It's a long story, not one worth mentioning. But anyways, for a long time, I was a very active member there and gave a lot of advice on everything from fishing micros to swordfish because I've done it all. And, uh, and in every single photo, <clears throat> every single video, I was wearing one of these. So it's just kind of become a thing. Yeah, I, I noticed it when I so when I started looking you up because I found out about you through a second friend of yours uh and i was going through and i was like why is he always wearing like i mean i get it i'm always normally wearing my hoodie when i'm fishing and i was just like well okay maybe it's something else but it's become iconic you are right so i, I am glad that uh i'm glad you did it just for that real fact we, we didn't <laughs> we're not reinventing the wheel here so that's good stuff i uh, even asked i even asked the mad max and on roman castro's channel uh, fishy hour for those of us for anybody who wants to tune in you know sometimes i'm a contributor on fishy hour i was a contributor for, on mondays for hell i want to say two years wow. so anybody who wants my hot take on anything you can head over there if you want and go check him out but uh but yeah i did uh, i did mondays on fishy hour for a long time wearing the mask the whole time and i even asked the max i said you know most of you have seen me bare face do you want me to come on here just showing my face it was unanimous. It was instantaneous. It was no, 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 no. It was like, it was like a huge scrolling of nose down the side. So hell, I guess it's working for me. So I'll keep it. Yeah. Run it. Don't change it. Don't change and, any of it. And yes, you can drink through a mask. You can. <laughs> and it increases the flavor for later. So that's even better. Cold filtered, baby. All day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get right into the podcast questions here. We'll start it right off the beginning. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Uh, the old man used to take me out. My One of my first formative memories was going down behind the Hotel Del Coronado, one of the most iconic hotels in the world, with my father. And I, I might have even been in diapers in my memory. I'm not 100% sure. And he was catching all these shovel-nosed guitar fish and surf perch, just all kinds of random stuff. My, my dad was really a bluegill fisherman kind of a single species guy that was what he really loved to do so i mean uh one of my first formative memories one of the first things i can remember of my life other than my mother and curlers while i was watching um while i was watching one of the original godzillas on a little black and white tv was him catching all those guitar fish and random garbage out of the surf there behind the hotel del so i've got the pedigree i guess here in san diego so yeah, and that is a nice place to fish, that is for sure. Uh, what type of fishing do you like to do now? Right now, um, a number of years ago, I got into a car accident about 14 years ago, and it kind of started the degradation on my spine. So about five years ago, it gave out. Until then, I was fishing tuna. When I was a young man, we still had commercial fishing here in San Diego, so I worked tuna, I worked swordfish. I worked, uh, I worked down south off Central America on Longline. Uh, did a very, very short stint long lining in the Indian Ocean. Um, surf fished a lot of Florida and a lot of the tropical Atlantic, saw the Caribbean. I mean, I, I've been around, been around, you know, I've, I've seen a fish or two in my time. Yeah, you have. In the Indian <laughs> Ocean. If So 
if in any of you've never really thought about the Indian Ocean because it's way the hell out, there is some serious wave and water action that happens in that damn body of water. Uh, <clears throat> some of the biggest surf I've ever been in was in the middle of the damn Indian Ocean. So, yeah, that's that's one I would never play with lightly. I, I remember. So we blew a we blew a through bearing and I had the experience of a lifetime. I got the opportunity to dock in the Christmas Islands. Oh, between between Australia and Indonesia. Wow. Okay. We, we were we were confined on ship. We could only fish to feed ourselves. There was like four species allowed. I think it was pick handle barracuda, um, blue edge jack, or what I call cavaya cavaya azul. I, I I don't know the real name for the fish, but uh, the third fish was job fish, and then the fourth one we were allowed to feed ourselves was uh, oh narrow barred mackerel. Those were the four we were allowed to fish. Hey, narrow barred mackerel are pretty amazing. Is it? Say, okay. They're, they're a lot more like a wahoo even than a king. Oh, okay. So, so as soon as you said that, so as soon as I heard mackerel, I mean, mackerel's a strong fish. You got to really, like, I enjoy Spanish. I haven't had the others yet, but I, I was instantly thinking, oh, she's going to be a strong flavor. I, I found them very palatable myself. I mean, experience, of course, and taste varies, mm. but. But yeah, we were we were allowed those four fish to feed ourselves while we were docked there. We blew a through bearing, and I was actually the guy that had to go overboard and plug the hole after the after we pulled the shaft out. <laughs> so, so, so I had a once in a lifetime fishing a place that most that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of anglers never see in their lifetime, no matter how wealthy they are or not, um, as a protectorate of the Australian government, and they had they had the gunship on us too while we were there. So just, if, if we if we disobeyed the rules, they were gonna hold us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my introduction to the to the Indian Ocean. That and the hundred and fifty foot waves that didn't move. That was wild. Yeah, and it's real, ladies and gentlemen. Seriously, the Indian Ocean is it. It's a different beast. It really yeah, is. I I had never seen a wave that didn't move before. <laughs> so I guess where the current dumps out of the South China Sea and where it circles around the north side of Australia, I guess it pushes the water up into these standing waves that don't hardly move. That was oh. wild. I, I had never seen that. And it's my understanding that that doesn't happen real often. And, you know, I say 150 feet, maybe they were only 90 or something. I don't know, but it looked like a mountain from uh, it's for a us. Giant. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, we went, we ran through in a storm and granted I was in a warship. I was on a LPD. And, you know, they normally tell us, hey, 30 feet's about what we like to maximum play with. And we're playing a little bit bigger boy leagues here. <laughs> I was like, and you could feel it. And that's a oh, lot yeah. of steel. So I, yeah, I, I, I just remember it was real slow going up the face. And then you <laughs> kind of ski down the back into the next one. And, and there wasn't that many, maybe 10 of them that were all like a couple hundred yards apart. But that, that was some of the wildest water yeah. I've ever seen, for yeah. sure. No, I wouldn't do that again. But personally, me personally, no, I'm I'm good. It's a good memory. Check. <laughs> <laughs> Check the box and move on, baby. Yes, sir. All right. What is your favorite thing about fishing? I think my favorite. I, I have two sides. So there's the social side of fishing, right? It's where you get together with your buddies. You have the fish fry at the end of the day. You're hanging out, or you know, you're with the you're you're with your boys from the club. Or, you know, the Mad Max in my case, the MMFC. Um, so, so there's the social side. But then there's also the personal side. There's the piece of you that's standing out on the cliffs at 9 o'clock at night, hoping another calico bass will bite your bait. 
there's yeah. there's there's that striving for the next it's that sense of achievement when you and and even if you didn't you're like well i took three waves to the face but you know what i went and did it mm -hmm. i went and did it cliff fishing is a different ball game too and not a lot of people i mean it's a specific type of fishing when you get into cliff fishing and yeah i i can honest i've seen it i can honestly i've never done it but in the comparison of what I've watched you guys do and how you do it versus what we do in the sand, whole different mentality and game of play. Lots more to factor. There's a lot of moving parts to cliff fishing. And of course, there's also the whole danger aspect of it. Like, hey, maybe who knows? Maybe this will be the day I eat it and slide down the side. You know, I actually I ate it in La Jolla about six months ago, maybe. And I slid Ooh. down about 20 feet of open rock. Uh, nice catch I at caught, the end, I, though. I, I, I caught, I caught myself. I caught myself. <laughs> That's the About important catch. The, it was only a thirty or forty foot cliff, you know. But you know, I fished <laughs> this other place called Sunset Cliffs, where the cliffs are like sixty to ninety feet in places, and <sighs> you know. I mean... That's enough for two screams for a re for a breathing scream. I mean, that's enough for that. No, no, <laughs> we don't need that. True, true story. Back when Pokemon Go was a big deal, we had about half a dozen tourists in one week walk right off Sunset Cliffs, like <sighs> eight to hundred foot tall cliffs, just walk right off chasing Pokemon. Gotta keep your head up. They always tell you look around, know your surroundings. Yep. Uh, no good. Uh, what is your favorite fish to target? If this will be weird and because this is socal no one will believe me but my single favorite fish to target is a fish called a sargo okay never heard of that one and neither have 90 percent. even here in southern california most people only occasionally accidentally catch a sargo if they're chucking plastics or a hard bait somewhere around rocks and they hook one on accident um they're a crustacean eating member of the grunt family they're in, they're a true member of the grunts that gets to about six or seven pounds. Okay. They fight probably harder than almost any other saltwater fish I've fought pound for pound for pound. Go, go ahead and challenge me on it. Go ahead and talk smack. I, I hear you in the comment section. Come at me, bro, because Sargo fight like crazy. I, I've had little ones, like 10, 12 inches, peel drag and break me off before on light gear. Straight wow. up. Oh they, man, they, they, they fight hard. They have a small mouth. They're hard to hook. They're bait picky. It, hmm. So 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 getting a big one for the frying pan, and of course grunts are delicious. I, I know you Florida guys are all a little bit about your grunts, but grunt grunts are delicious. We all know it, and this is a true grunt. And they have hard meat, and they're they fight like crazy. They have a small mouth. They're hard to hook. Landing a good Sargo feels like an accomplishment every every single time. Man, now I'm going to have to add that to the list to try to target. Okay, cool. And, you know, you bring up an excellent point when you talk about Florida, but this is a lot of people. Since I've moved down here, I've heard nothing but, oh, that's a trash fish. Yo, why would you eat that? I've eaten <laughs> the catfish. Catfish tastes just fine. I've had Bonita. Okay, not a mate. It's not a tuna, but it's still pretty. I'll eat it. It's not going to kill me. It's <clears> fine. It's you, like, you know what I've always thought funny about the Bonita you all catch down there? What? You, th this is something I found really hilarious. We have true Bonito here. Yes, you do. Just like they do in portions of the, of the Atlantic. And to me, a Bonito, if bled and cooked freshly, is an amazing food fish. Okay? Mm -hmm. 
you all have true tunas that you can target off the jetties, sometimes in the surf, from almost any of the piers. You have true tuna you can target without paying a couple hundred bucks a day for a party boat. And they are badmouth. They are they are gill slit and thrown to the sharks. They're tossed on the bank. They're thrown in the trash cans on the piers. You have true tuna you can target there. Those little tunny and false albacore, depending on which side of the coast you're on down there, yep. are amazing. They fight hard. If you bleed them and keep them on ice and cook them real fresh, they're pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't say they're amazing, but no, I mean, if you're making there. yeah, tuna salad, fish dip, smoked tuna, perfectly fine. Yep, gets the job done. I mean, you that's spoiled what... Yahoo. <laughs> So I don't trust people when they tell me it's a trash fish until I yeah. eat it. Cause I'm like, no, I'll find like, I I'm originally from new England. So I'm used to the big blues, like the the big boys. And when I catch a blue fish down here, it's probably, I don't know, 12, 13, maybe 15 inches. And that's kind of, you know, that's a good day. And then I get the, in the comments, the new Englanders, Oh, that's a baby. It's like, dude, we don't get them like that down here. Nope. We don't get your cold ass water. We don't get the big ones. It, uh, it, it's funny because for years I took vacations to Lido Key. And I would throw poppers at dawn and dusk. I would just catch as many fish as I possibly could. And I caught this bluefish that was probably, I don't know, four or five pounds. And everybody that was standing around off of that jetty was just absolutely floored that I caught this thing. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny because I have fish in Central, Central Atlantic and a few other spots that had, you know, beefy bluefish. And I mean, just the way yeah. the, the local guys were like, oh, my Lord, that's one of the biggest bluefish I've ever seen. <laughs> it, it was a big meaty fish don't get me wrong but oh. and when people tell me blue they're like oh i don't eat it i use it as bait i'm like what the hell man bluefish is delicious you just gotta cut the bloodline it's not that bad cut that little dark bleed out, them out. I'm done bleed them out keep them on ice when they're firmed up after being on ice fillet them out cut all the bloodline out use mm. all of the head gut skin bloodline of shark bait and chomp it's nothing wrong fish. with that actually no. And actually, I mean, if you're making it into something like fish dip or smoke, it's perfect. It's fine. Yeah. That high oil content will stand up to heavy heat, strong spices. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, I, we, can do, we can talk about that all day because I love I mean, talking fish is talking fish and cooking fish. Uh, that's that's good languages right there. I mean, <laughs> that's that's good times. All right, let's let's dig into the memory. Uh, we got a little bit here in the memory banks before we go into the fishing tips, tricks, and knowledge. What has been one of the craziest or your favorite fish besides the Sargo? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> one of my favorite accidental catches. So I fish a lot of saltwater panfish because my arm doesn't work as good anymore, and my back is kind of jacked, and my hip sciatica, and all this nonsense spinal drift disc bulge nerve impingement these are words that come up over and over again when i go to the doctor <laughs> i mean every once a week <laughs> getting old yeah. hurts that's for sure yep it all hurts and none of the pills do anything about it the alcohol helps me not care but that's about it yeah so one of, one of my favorite accidental catches is what they call a surf tractor okay. so 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 the guys that fish bat rays and believe me, there's a dedicated group of a few dudes that target a special stingray called a bat ray here in Southern California. Okay. Okay. Bat rays have incredible stamina. They reach weights that are amazing. Um, catching a 200 pounder for a guy who does it all the time is not that rare. 
Okay, we're talking a 200 pound fish from shore in the middle of January at night. Oh, okay. This, now we're this is a very this is a very rare thing in the world. A 200 pound fish in the middle of summer, you guys are like, yeah, shut up and get out of here. But do it in January almost anywhere. Here in Southern California, that's when these big bat rays with wingspans of over 54 inches come and invade the back bays to eat clams. And there is a small but dedicated group of dudes that go out and catch these things that weigh 250 pounds or more. True story. Now, every once in a while, one of these guys accidentally hooks a fish called a surf tractor. This is this is a shovel-nosed guitar fish over six feet long. Oh, no, nope, nope. I love when I accidentally hook one of these when I'm when I'm fishing, as long as it's not too big. Yeah. I love hooking a big guitar fish on light gear. They peel drag, they run all over the place, they swim crazy. And then when you get them to shore and you see this flat, ugly thing with tiny eyeballs, you can't help but laugh and and realize that that was one of the most fun fights on panfish gear you could have hoped for. You know, this three, four, five foot long guitar fish that took you for a ride for a half an hour. I, I mean, I think I think it's amazingly cool. I get it if you just think there's some trash fish or hate them. And actually, I find them pretty edible too. So if I hook one bad and he's bleeding everywhere, I, I have no problem taking one home and cutting it up and throwing it in the frying pan. They are a little salty, but you know, the meat is, is very tight grained. It's very firm. Um, I, I find them very palatable, but it's just a super fun fish that isn't really available over most of the world. People who catch guitar fish and their kin live in places like South Africa and the Ivory coast in Africa and yeah. Southern California. That's about the only place you hear about these fish. So I think it's really cool that we have access to this fish that is limited distribution across the world, can can reach fairly sizable sizes, and really just swims crazy. So the episode I did uh, with Go Fish Tours out of uh, South Africa, Nick had mentioned something about that. I didn't know it was called a surf tractor. So now I'm like, okay, now I'm understanding what he was talking about and what you're talking about. Yeah, they, they swim crazy. I, I don't know how to describe this. Like, it'll kind of just be coming in, and all of a sudden it'll suction to the ground, so you're prying on the thing. Then all of a sudden it just takes off 100 yards. <laughs> then you have to fight it back, and you have to hope you have a wave to surf it in on. And God help you, if you're on the cliffs, you're just completely boned. But, I mean, oh. I, I find it... I find catching a, a good size one of those some of the most fun accidental catch you can possibly have. Oh, it sounds like it. <laughs> well, you've been fishing a long time. You've, like you said, you've world traveled and you've seen a ton of things. Is there anything left on your bucket list that you want to catch? So, when I was a young man, and I mean a young man, I was a commercial fisherman that fished off Central America. And if there's one fit, I don't know that I would call this a bucket list. I would call this the revisit. If this was something I could go and relive. It's casting huge handmade surface plugs to those blue jacks in Central America. Okay. It, it, just, just watching, just chugging across the top of the water, and then it looks like somebody kicked a, a TV out of a plane onto your lure. Just watching the blow up, and the fish just comes out of the water, and it's brilliant blue. If there was one I could go back to revisit, that would be the fish. 
that sounds fun. I mean, terrifying at the same time seeing that blow. Just, I'm like, oh crap, yes, but oh, just, man. just insane. I, I we always called them Cavallo Oro, which is like their colloquial name down there, uh-huh. but I guess it's a blue edge trevely or something, or a blue star trevely, or I, I don't know what the actual name of this fish is, but watching and especially fishing off of like the peaks. Uh-huh. So, like, the portions of Senam that are real steep and dump off into deep water, it's like these steep volcanic ridges that come down off the mountains into the water. So you have the jungle right there. Then you have, like, this little narrow band of barrenness. And then you have these roads where it comes down off the mountain, and you just chug. You just see those fish just come up and just crush it. (laughs) Yeah, that had been so fun. Uh, well, along the same lines with this question, then, because like I said, you've traveled a lot. Have there is there any other place that you would wish that you dream to go and get a line wet and go fishing? Well, you have to remember, I, I had the once in a billion opportunity opportunity to fish the Christmas Islands. Yeah, the, first, the first time you see a school of pickhandle barracuda so big that the water turns black and you're looking at the bottom in 200 feet. <laughs> pretty much ruins you for life yeah you're screwed <laughs> yeah it's like i mean i'd love to go back to central america i'd love to go back to the christmas islands um i mean here's the thing though i mean my body physically just can't take anything like that anymore yeah so if i could go back and maybe even if i can fish for like hawkfish in southern baja that's something i haven't done because when i was a kid there were still lots of groupers and big snappers and stuff like that down there. So the hawkfish hadn't taken over, but now I guess the hawkfish have commandeered all that dirt that used to belong to all the snappers and hogfish, and, um, groupers and the, and the pizgayos and all that stuff that's been fished out at the Southern end of Baja. So you get this meaty sea bass looking thing. that's about two feet long. And I guess they've just taken over everywhere around the whole Cape. So if I was going to go down there and fish again, I would love to catch some of those. I, I hear that they're phenomenal eating. They fight like crazy. They'll hit top water. That sounds like some serious fun. <laughs> well, this one's going to be a tough one for you because in, in case, you know, anyone else is, you know, if you haven't picked your jaws up off the floor yet after listening to this, because I mean, I'm still like, yes, this is awesome. I want to do all these things. <laughs> This question is going to be a real hard one. Then, what has been your favorite fishing memory? There's been there's been a couple that I don't think I'll beat. Um, I caught a 425 pound giant grouper or Queensland grouper, you want to whatever you want to call that on hand line. On a hand line, yeah. Let let, let me let let me preface this. So I was a young man once upon a time that was not all broken and beaten. Okay. (laughs) There, I promise you, there was a time in my life when my thoughts were short and my hair was very long, to quote Kid Rock. Okay. So I've got a couple if if you want to bear with me. Yeah, send it, man. I'm loving it. Hey, this is part of the story that you get to share with us, and we I will happily listen. So all my fish over 200, 250 pounds, every single one of them has been caught on hand line. So that includes that includes a 425-pound giant grouper, a Queensland grouper, a bumblebee grouper, whatever you want to call that thing, which isn't even big for those. They get to like 700 or 800 pounds. <clears throat> I caught a uh, – actually, my former statement's not true. We'll get to that in just a minute. I just had another memory. Um, 
Okay. I caught I caught a I caught a, a swordfish on handline that weighed around 550, 600. Ooh. Um I've caught several several tuna in the super cow class, so 300 plus on handline. Uh, we did chase a, a massive tiger shark around Cancun Harbor once upon a time. So the tourists would come. <clears throat> they would catch two of these Dorado, right? And the limit in Mexico is two Dorado. So the guides would fillet them out and they would send them to the local restaurant with four fillets. And then they would just throw all the bodies off the ends of the docks. Well, this huge girl was just swimming in circles over and over around the end of the docks. I'm sure Cancun is not like this anymore. But once upon a time, it just basically had a rock quay on one side. And then pilings driven into the mud on the other and like a walking dock. So I launched the Zodiac. We grabbed the biggest gear we had. I think it was a 12 or 15 knot with 150 pound line on it. And we hooked this girl and we chased her around until she got tired and got her up to the to the boat. And I think she was 19 foot two, I think. Holy I don't remember what God. the girth measurement was, but she was like 1800 pounds, I think. But yeah, it was it was some ridiculous nonsense. It makes no, you know. But this was like the captive shark in Cancun Harbor once upon a time, and we, we I should say we pulled the boat close enough to her to get the hook out. Is really what we did. We didn't really catch her, so to speak. But that was a pretty fun memory. And then uh, I had the pleasure of fishing the White Banks one time, and that was off Venezuela. And uh, <clears throat> I remember seeing. It sounds weird even to say it. But I literally saw a school of white marlin feeding on juvenile blackfin tuna that was so big you couldn't see the end. Wow. Holy it was wild. Crap, like, 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 like the swords were sticking up everywhere. The water was red. It was, it was a mess. But it was white marlin feeding on juvenile blackfin. Jeez. That, yeah, that sounds like a bloodbath. Yeah, that, that was pretty wild. Um, I saw something I couldn't explain off Central America a long time ago. I'd say it moved a lot like a Mako or Great White, but it looked like it was like 40 to 60 feet long. Um, I, <laughs> it's the Meg. Just call it a Meg. I, I, I don't have an explanation for it to this day. We'd seen whale sharks many times. We've seen lots of stuff a bunch of times. Um, th those are all memories that stand out. You know as well as any, and well, before I get into this, we got to knock out a bait check. Let's do that first, and then I'm going to make my comment, because, yeah, this is getting good. It's your first bait check of the episode. Hopefully, you've caught a bunch of fish by now, and you're doing fine. Everything's great, and you're just enjoying this whole show. And if you haven't yet, double-check the bait. Make sure it's good. If you got to switch it up, switch it up. This bait check is being brought to you by Kids Can Fish Foundation. Kidscanfish.net is a group that gets together in St. Simons Island, Georgia, and they bring these kids out together to do camps. And all the money that you donate to them and for their tournaments goes back into the program for the kids to get rods, reels, cast nets, that a bunch of gear so that way they can continue on with fishing they're the next generation of anglers out there they're getting the addiction we've already got it so we're passing it on to quote old captain dave and it was a good one that he gave me there so kidscanfish.net really great uh, program and they are a 501c 5013c that's the proper word uh group they got you covered so uh they've also got the saint simon's island running of the bulls tournament I will be there. Lots of fun. It's going to be a great time. So kidscanfish.net, great group, doing great things. Keep it up. And like their uh, great slogan that's not official, more tackle boxes, less Xboxes. Keep them kids fishing. 
so good. All right. So I was going to make this comment. And I'll say it now before we move into the freaking tips and tricks with your world travel. And I, I'll put my tin fat, my tin hat on here. There is some weird crap in the ocean that most people would not believe you if you told them about it. And you have seen some of that stuff, especially with your travels. I mean, an old timer when I first got started in commercial fishing, an old timer out of Ensenada that used to lay in tuna here in San Diego, he, I'd go out with him and I'd help him bait the lobster pots. He was an old, he was an old broken man, just like I am now, but well, even older and bro older and more broken than I am now. And I, and I dropped something over the side, you know, a tuna head or something. I, you know, I tried to apologize to him. He just laughed and told me, he said, son, the ocean's full of teeth. <laughs> Damn it. And he ain't wrong. <laughs> he ain't wrong at all. <laughs> and I have seen nothing in all the years yeah. since to contradict anything he said. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. So let's get into the fun part of stealing your knowledge here. That's the sharing piece because everyone knows this is where it really gets important. And we all do hope you all fish. And this is why we do the podcast is for you to gain knowledge, whether you're going to go out to SoCal or you can actually use pretty much every tip that you learn throughout there. It's the minor details that really matter. So when you're going to go fishing out at the beach and in the surf areas, the cliffs, how do you plan your fishing trips? Okay. So there's two things. There's sunrise and there's sunrise sunset, which are halves of the same coin. And then there's the tide. Now, <clears throat> conditions play a third role. But primary are those two. If, if, you're, if you're talking about sunrise and sunset and tide, you're already in the right neighborhood. Of course, conditions can up and screw you no matter what you do. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, maybe some eight-foot swells pass through, ripped up all the surf grass, or down there where you have turtle grass deposited all on the beach and then all of a sudden you, you just got way too many balls in the air to try to try to begin to approach things but that said i'm a firm believer of if you have enough water to work with there's always a chance it, it might, might just be fishing micros or or what they call trash or crap fish or whatever but I can't tell you how many times I've gone out, looked at the surf. It was black with surf grass, just big wads of garbage everywhere. <clears throat> and I mean, people talk about La Jolla being exceptionally clear water. Yeah, it's clear until you get 8,000 pounds of surf grass per hundred yards in it. Yep. Then it, it's unfishable no matter what you do. So, so you look and you think, well, I have the tide in my favor and sunset is approaching. So those smaller fish will need to feed right right like well can we find a tide pool that's not choked with grass pull a few opal eye out maybe some woolly sculpins or uh rock grass or something like that <clears throat> many many times i have gone down to the water and looked and conditions have been terrible but you know what i found i, I found a gap in the grass a little hole in the interior reef somewhere through a couple of handfuls of bread got the fish chummed up and i had a 30 to 60 fish session over the course of an hour and a half or two. Nothing big, but it's a lot better than driving down to the water, taking a look and driving home. Yeah. Yes, so, very much so. So, I mean, you, you have sunrise, sunset, and you have the tide. Conditions are that third factor. Like, you know, if, if you don't have the tide working for you, 
if you don't have enough water in front of you, you're going to be hosed no matter what you do. Conditions aren't going to matter at that point. So make sure there's enough water laying on your spot. Use that sunrise and sunset to your advantage. So that's the changing of the guard, right? So if you fish that last hour of dark heading into sunrise, you have the last hour that nighttime fish can feed. So here in Southern California, fish like soupfin sharks, bat rays, uh, calico bass, spotted bay bass. That is their last chance to feed heavily at, during the nighttime. When the daytime comes, a different set of predators arrives on the scene. So that's their first shot at it. So I like high tides or at least incoming tides at sunrise and sunset. That'll tilt the odds in your favor automatically. No matter where on earth you are that I've been, your, your odds are better if you're fishing sunrise or sunset with at least an incoming tide, if not an incoming high. If it's sweeping into the into the high, like during like right when you're planning to quit fishing, you're maximizing your chances. I don't care if you're in Florida. I don't care if you're in Delaware. I don't care if you're in Southern California. I don't care if you're in Alaska or Panama. Make the most of the opportunity you have. And if you're flexible on target, like I said, uh, I went yesterday morning. La Jolla was socked in with grass. Water was clear as could be. I found a couple of tide pools that had less grass. I chummed up a few micros and I went home with five or six fish that I wouldn't have caught if I wasn't flexible on target. Yeah. That's, that's so, one thing so I love some, about salt is you, you can be flexible. That's that's one of the fun parts about surf fishing. You don't have, I mean, you can target, sure, but you, there's so many great bycatches you can get yourself into. I mean, I've, I've had I've had evening sessions here in Southern California where I caught 25 species. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's it's wild to think about, but like, you know, the guy that's the guy that's watched YouTube and he's throwing a three inch grub on a three eight ounce lead head. <clears throat> that, that guy isn't capable of catching 28 species in a night, or at least it's right. extremely unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So having some flexibility and target your size of hooks, your approach being willing to chum a little really helps. And I'm not really fancy with my chum. You know, my kid didn't eat a hot, a hot dog earlier today. So I put in a bag with some salt and the rest of the bun he didn't eat. And that's all going to go in the water when I fish tomorrow. Fish will eat it. They'll happily yeah, eat they'll, it. They won't care one way or the other. And if, and if the fish I'm targeting won't eat it, maybe the fish that targeting that I'm targeting that they're eating will eat it. If you get a lot of bait gathered around, a lot of times every predator in the in the neighborhood knows right where you are. I've seen it countless times. There's primary chumming, which is chumming to your target, and then there's secondary chumming, which is chumming to the whatever your target's eating. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that 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 word, that's the word, that is the piece. There's always something that works with that. Um, yep. Okay, so we got the we got the plan there with the tides and sunrise sunset. Now you've already picked your or your plan for that. Now let's get into the other one. How do you select the spot that you're going to fish? I go and look. There's 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 no experience. There's no substitute for time on the water, right? That's been a phrase longer than you and I have been alive. But ultimately speaking, and and even if you're like you know what conditions are terrible, I'm not going to fish. You could turn around and drive home. 
or you can grab a pair of binoculars and start looking around. You can use that opportunity to increase your own knowledge. Like, hey, how is the bait laying up against this, this ledge right here? Hey, I see some shimmering on the water right there. It looks like some, some mid-level predator has moved in. Small jacks, or in our case, jack mackerel or, or uh, chub mackerel, Pacific chub mackerel, has moved in on this corner. That'll tell you what the predators are doing in that time. It'll also tell you where, hey, you know what? I wanted a load of surf perch or opalize or something for dinner. You know what? They're not going to be here. Because there's sharks all over this corner. And they so, don't go where the predators are. <laughs> they're yeah. not going to walk into a bloodbath. They're, pe they're peeling out. They're heading that way. <laughs> so, I mean, just use every opportunity you can. It, that's what I tell people starting out. If, there, if there's three pieces of advice I can give you, your first day on the water is going to be tomorrow. Spend tonight watching TV while you tie the same knots over and over. An hour spent tying knots isn't an hour wasted. And you watched your show anyways, right? So why not use that time? Okay, you drove the 20 minutes to the beach, or you drove the 40 minutes to the beach, or, for, you know, for, for people visiting the Gulf, six, eight, 10 hours to the beach. You know, it's blown out. You've got these lateral waves washing down the shore. It's unfishable for how you want to fish. You got two options. You can turn around and go home, or you can try to make good on the scenario. Call out the binoculars. Watch the birds. What are the birds doing? How's the bait laying along that break? What's happening on the outside of the sandbar? A lot of the stuff you can see, just call out a cheap junk pair of binoculars from Amazon. It'll give you a wealth of information about what's happening. Just a little forward never hurts. And yeah, the turnaround part sucks. That much, that much forethought is all it takes. Very, very true. Well, let's get into this next piece then when it comes to that, because you really, you tied it in nicely. I love how you did that. So you, you've got the spot, you're in there now, you're going in with the gear. With the different types of species, I know it's calling, you're going to have to play different games. Now, let's talk about what you're looking for to start your casting, where you're going to throw. Well, where are you going with this? Okay, so for what I do, which is a lot, saltwater panfish, right? Uh, um, the end, the end goal is to have two fish for the next day. That's how I look at it. I can slather them in butter and put them on the George Foreman at work. And I can have a really nice lunch the next day. That, that's my whole gig. Right. So <clears throat> what I'm looking for is anywhere where the waves will push the smaller baits into a corner. If I can find that, and especially if I can chum to that, I'll be in the money. I'm eating lunch the next day. Whether it's a big rock wrasse or an opali or a sargo or or a mid-sized bass or, um, you know, the other day I caught a, a legal sheephead. Not those sheephead, the other, the ones we have over here. <laughs> so yours are not, porgies, not ours are wrasse, okay? They both are goofy, have weird-looking teeth. They're very different fish. They kind of fill a similar ecological niche. Both are ugly as hell. I get it. You know, they have the teeth only, only your ex-mother-in-law could love. But... Very similar ideas, right? You're looking for something that's feeding on small crustaceans that are getting washed off a structure into a pocket. That's what you're looking for. I don't care if it's a sheephead porgy or the sheephead wrasse. That's what you're going to be looking for. Very simple. I'm looking for anywhere where small crustaceans are getting blown off of something and deposited. 
and the structure piece like you just said there it, <coughs> structure is not just rocks people like structure is anything different if it you know a sandbar structure a break okay now there's the structure opening now you start that now you brought up one and i kind of want to tie into that one when you say getting thrown into a corner into a pocket you're talking about stuff like that like the breaks or the next deep hole or the rock or right you, you know one of one of my favorite structures when i fished the ocean beach a lot one of my favorite was was rip currents oh the greatest thing ever it's like yeah cheating. because anytime you have the the that littoral current flowing and then you have a current flowing out there's a pocket there there's a hole right there if you can get into that if you can or if you can drift a bait by it or if you can use the current to your advantage so that you're holding on to where the current starts dropping off and then you can guide your bait out that can be real money you could catch a fish every cast for hundreds of casts in a row sometimes in scenarios like that. Yeah, those fish finder rigs and that setup with like a, not a, uh, hell, you can go egg sinker if you really want to get thrown around. Bank sinkers are great for it. But getting that into the current and letting it walk itself right into the hole for you, it's money all day. I mean, just rocking and, that through a Carolina. And and the flip, and the flip side of that is using a, a weight just light enough right because if you're using too heavy of a weight it's going to fall out too quick and you're not going to make it to the pocket so you have to and i and believe it or not i've seen situations even here on the open beach where we have big surf and stuff i've seen occasions where i hook on a ragged chunk of cut bait i cast it into there with no weight or anything just a palomar knot for me in the hook and i just i just walk it out and then i hold enough tension on the side so it drops out and circles around and i've done very very well in situations like that that's like a nice technique. Oh, I might have to. I might have to go with that one. I haven't tried that yet. That's that's yeah, pretty it's, it, it, it's wild because the fish, you know, here in Southern California, a lot like Florida, these fish see rigs every day. So if you're used, if you can get away with doing something different, something lighter, something less detectable, you have to think of it like those European carp fishing guys. Yeah, less detectable, lighter weight. You don't want the fish to know anything is wrong until they're hooked before the split second before that fish is peeling drag and hauling it you don't want them to know anything is wrong they can drop the bait they can spit the bait they could it... just a little difference that makes a huge one uh before i move into the next one we're gonna do another bait check because we're a little bit uh we're a little behind from the beginning because i was on a happy roll and i wasn't about to change it i wasn't about to stop it once not even a little new <laughs> It is the second bait check of the episode, and you've definitely caught fish because, I mean, this this episode's so much fun. I'm hoping y'all are having as much fun as I am because it's a blast. <laughs> this bait check is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at everything that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy garage. You need Sputniks? Hey, he's got them. It's in his name. Maybe you need some tools, pliers, scissors. Well, I don't know. Maybe a special cutter. Maybe a bait thread uh, tool. Yeah, lots of cool stuff in there. Rigs, he's still got the Bruno rig. Great rig. It's been setting up really well for people and lots of great stuff in there. So go on over to thesinkerguy.com, get your order in today. Quick shipping, great customer service. You can't go wrong. So when you, when you talked about the tides, um, you've talked about pretty much the big pieces there and cutting into that. Let's talk about the uh, the evil monster in the sky for the night, the moon phases. Now, moon has always got a little bit of a play in the game of fishing. What about you, you like to fish for a moon phase? 
Okay, so the I would uh, okay. I'm gonna kind of oppose traditional whatever. Okay, <clears throat> just, just a little bit. I, I'm not totally disagreeing with the traditional advice of <laughs> the whole full moon and you know, and and here in Southern California, you have a special thing called the Grunion Run that's based on the moon phase, right? So it's these little fish yeah, that swim up the beach, deposit their eggs. That is a phenomenal time to fish. I don't give a crap who you are. If you are there at night and you are fishing your grunion run in Southern California, your odds of catching something that weighs as much as you have just quadrupled and then some. That said, the biggest effect to me that moon phase has is in the height of the tides. Ah, right? There it is. There it is. So, That's one thing nobody's mentioned. So, so here in SoCal, we have the thing that we call the king tide. You don't really have that down there. Nope. But up here, the last couple of days, parking beach parking lots have been getting flooded. Once you get the water above a certain level and the surf above a certain level, and it's been pretty high, you have the chance of, of seawater flowing into the oceanfront communities here. Our tides are usually pretty small compared to other places like England where they have 30-meter tides. A big tide here is like seven, eight feet. Yeah, easy. But you get a tide over seven feet, you're talking about flooded parking lots. You're talking about um, running out of room on the beach. So a lot of these beach areas are backed by cliff here in Southern California, places like Torrey Pines, Del Mar, South Orange County, San Clemente, uh, Moonlight, just we can, all the way up to Santa Barbara. A lot of these beach areas are backed by cliffs. And if you're dumb, you go out and fish these areas at night during a king tide. Because you are going to run out of dirt to stand on real quick. And the cliff may come down on top of you in addition to that. Yeah. If you guys don't watch <laughs> news on the SoCal, you, you, hell, I'll, I'll bring up one that I used to watch all the time since I was in the Inland Empire, KTLA. You catch up and watching the stuff that's happening up there when a storm comes through and all of a sudden you start seeing a house hanging over a ledge. You're like, hell, like, that's we call that Tuesday. That happens a lot when a king tide. And yeah, it's and, real. And especially during spring and fall, but even during summer, like now when we got big waves, the king, the king tide can straight up kill you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not even, I mean, st even standing out on the cliffs, you're like, oh, I'm safe up here. Well, two waves become one. That eight foot wave becomes a 16 footer. All of a sudden it's reaching 70 feet up the cliffs. It'll wash you right off and kill you. So, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, to me, I, I may, maybe put your two cents in on this, but to me, it's like if you're unaware and you're not paying attention, you're you're doomed. I mean, there's no other way to say that because you can't. I mean, most of us that are in the game of fishing, you know, you're going to take a look at the tides nine times out of ten. You are going to look at the tide, and you, if you follow all your apps, it's going to warn you if it's a king tide. You will have a warning. You'll have something that says, "Hey, it's going to be a ten foot tide." something to consider and walking like you said if you're walking the beach where the cliff is now you don't have an escape what are you going to do because the tide's coming you there's no way out of this and are you going to trudge your ass back you need to do it quickly because that tide comes in you're done it's over oh, don't be screwing around with it you know I, I had times when i was younger and a little dumber my hair was a little longer back when i had hair even <laughs> <laughs> that you know i just scrambled up the face of the cliff to get away but th th that's not really an ideal situation it's not something you want to put yourself into i've I had times on the jetty where like i look back and the jetty is underwater because of the swell that just passed between Ooh. me and shore 
I've seen it before. I've been out there. I've done it. I, I've been out on the cliffs when all of a sudden, you know, one night I called the wife. I said, well, sorry, wife. I'm not going to be home till later because I'm standing on top of some pickleweed behind some huge condo here in La Jolla because I'm just cut off. There, I have no way back. So I have to wait a couple hours for that tide to recede. Then I can actually then I could actually have a safe walk back. But I mean, I was stuck underneath some stairs on the backside of a condo for two and a half hours one night, even, you know, this was a few years ago, not like back when I was 20. <laughs> and, you know, I got the whole, you know, the whole angry Mexican wife thing of who is she? But no, I was actually stuck <laughs> up against a condo in Loyola. She's so, the Pacific I mean, Ocean and she's a cruel bitch. Yeah. Yeah. That is a mean woman right there. She does not forgive you for any mistakes at all. No. The mistress is relentless. Yes. Yeah. And she, she won't will, she stop till you're dead sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. She will constantly take if you if you don't pay attention yes. to her. Uh so you've mentioned well, we actually haven't dug into this. So with different types of fishing out there, you have to use different rig styles, obviously. And you know, I know you're throwing numerous different things. Do you have a preferred set that you like to utilize? So I have okay, so keep in mind I am old and set in my way. So I apologize to anyone if I offend by this, but I use a very non-standard rig. As I've gotten older, it's just a rig that works. I have one knot between me and the hook, it's very quick to retie. So I keep a long spider hitch above a surgeon's loop. That's what I do. I make my spider hitch almost long enough to tangle with my surgeon's loop. Almost. Interesting. I get great bait movement. It's very snag resistant. And okay, so further to further the snag resistance, like a lot of the areas I fish are mixed rock, kelp, surf grass, sand. It, it's, got, it's got everything within one cast. So I could be casting onto a, a steep side of a reef, or I could be casting onto sand 10 feet away. And a lot of the fishing I do is in the dark. So I, I need a very versatile rig. I find of all the loop knots, the spider hitch is by far the strongest. I fish straight mono. That's something to keep in mind. I don't fish leaders. I fish straight mono because it's a more abrasion resistant for me than fluoro. Like, go, on, go on ahead. Bite me on this all day in the comment section. Tell me how resistant fluoro is. And then look up any of the thousands of tests that have been done by the Australians. The mm -hmm. Mad Max Fishing Club did our own test. On, live on camera during fishy hour. Okay? You fluoro guys are full of crap. Mono <laughs> is way more abrasion resistant. Yeah, it's and it's the same thing I found in my personal life. It's been proven. I I'll agree with you. Mono is stronger than fluoro. Fluoro is not designed to be used like that. It's stronger. It's more abrasion resistant. It takes knots better. End of story. I mean, I don't care what you say about fluoro. There are occasions when fluoro makes sense, basically for its sink rate. In every other scenario, I'm using mono. And I fish straight mono. I don't fish braid or leader. I don't do any of that shenanigans. I, I'm willing to pay. If it takes me six bucks to go to the beach and back in gas, I can afford 40 cents worth of monofilament to fill, fill my reel. That, that's my opinion about it. Fair. <clears throat> but I, I have found that the spider hitch over the surgeon's loop, if my weight snags and I use steel, I use steel weights. I use things like spark plugs and bolts and nails and all kinds of stuff. I got a bucket full of chain link out here. And the reason I use steel is because I fish the same areas over and over again. And I don't want to turn my fishing area into the lead desert. Not only does Very. it save a few bucks, 
but over time that steel is going to go away and become part of the environment that benthic organisms are going to grow on and it, it's not it's not nearly as harmful to the environment as as lead so anywhere i can i use steel okay. <clears throat> interesting also, also i find i i find a, a chain a section of chain like that three or four smaller chain links very very snag resistant it'll crawl over anything kelp rocks reefs you know the wind catches your line and it falls on the other side of the exposed rock in front of you well you can just crawl it right back over until you 99 times out of 100 i mean those smooth edges that makes a lot of sense it'll just roll right through it i'm telling you i've watched you just walk up over the rock and drop into the pocket many many times wow. thousands of times that's actually and, a really cool idea and 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 here in california so I've got a job where not my department, one of the department ne next to mine replaces chains. So in California and soon to be federal law, no chain that's that's used to support human weight, like a playground swing or anything like that, is allowed to be repurposed for any situation where it can take human weight again. So all those all those thousands of pounds of chains that get replaced across the country every single day. All those end up in recycling dumpsters that your tax dollars pay to empty. So why not repurpose 10 or 20 or 40 or 80 pounds of it? I give it away to my friends here all the time. It makes it's, mm, You're on it's to something here. I, I, now, mind you, it's not as aerodynamic as a regular, of a regular lead weight or even a piece of rebar or something if you want to go. You know, if I'm casting distance, I use solid steel. But for any for just casting out and catching opalides and sargos and sand bass and rock grass and all the stuff I catch from the surf, <clears throat> steel will do the job that I need it to do. It comes in every weight from a nail that big to to five pound chain drags I used to use for halibut from the kayak. It comes in every weight. It comes in every size. It comes in every style. It's very cheap. It's environmentally friendly. So. Call it the Californian in me. You can call me a kook, a googan, uh, what is it? A tryhard if you're up north in Northern California. But Ooh, really, no. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I've been I've been around. You can hate me. It's fine. You can call <laughs> me whatever you want. And you know, I get it for guys using sputniks or whatever like that that really need to grip the bottom hard. They need trip out leads. They need uh, self hooking rigs. You know, steel steel is not the choice in every scenario. Even for you know, if I need a light slider or if I'm using split shot, obviously lead's the way to go. <clears throat> but for the rigs I use 90% of the time, it's nothing particular. It's nothing specific. I don't have to dial it into one tenth of an ounce so I can cast, you know, I, I don't need all that. So if I'm casting 50 to 110 yards, I can use steel. Then when I break it off, it just becomes part of the environment and I move on. Yeah. It's a good way. I mean, full circle, so that works out nicely. Okay, so nice setup there. I mean, spider hitch on the sturgeon loop. Cool. All right, so that's your setup there. All right, so now we're going to move into the last little pieces here, and then we'll get into the social media piece uh, portion of the interview. What do you do when you go fishing in a brand new place that you haven't been before? You know, I've been asked this question before, and my approach is always the same. You know, instead of rushing down to the water and being in a hurry to get a bait out, I'll kind of just take 20, 30 minutes. Step back. Look around. What are the birds doing? 
What are the waves doing? Are they bouncing off of something? Where where does the wave break first? And where does the wave break last? Right? Very simple. You look for dark water, you look for white water. Take a step back. Do a little analysis. Take a look around. If there's water behind you and in front of you, like a lot of places in Florida and here, maybe look behind you. Take a look. What's it going to do? Cost you five minutes? No, no. But the intel you gather from that might be make your whole day, your whole week, if you're on vacation somewhere, be like, you know what? The mullet go past this point every single day or here in San Diego Bay. You know what? I'm looking at all this surf, but behind me, I see I see Jack Smelt jumping out of the water every day at 5.30. That might clue you in on what's happening behind you. Mm-hmm. So maybe just take that 20 minutes. Do a little assessment. Do a little recon. Fish don't jump just because they like exercise, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually usually if you see it. That. Yeah, it's the same thing with the birds. The birds aren't flying for their health. No, not at all. They're, I love it. If you see a turn here in Southern California, turns are big. I mean, I've seen it elsewhere in the world too, but here turns are king. If I see a turn make a U, make make like a one eighty in the sky, I know, I know right where something's going to going to be going down. The turn might not be able to capitalize it on it at that time, and may not even necessarily know what it's looking at. But when I see a turn that's flying one way go whoop, I know. Yep. He just lets you know, like, oh, hey, there was something here. I can't get it, but you can. So, yep. yeah, there's a reason to watch that. Countless times. <laughs> if you, if you, uh, and, and particularly in the Gulf of Mexico, if you're, if you arrive at the beach and you look down, you'll see where all the herons are all bunched up, all the herons and egrets. You'll see them all in one place. Yep. Fred hangs out for a reason. Fred knows where yeah. the fish are. Yeah, just take, I mean, the, the first thing you do is you take a look. If I really don't know what I'm doing, I'll put a small live bait hook on something with a real hard shank, something with a good thick shank, like the, like the, uh, what, what is it? Must add 68, 18s or whatever. Something with a short shank, almost a circle, like size six or size four. And, and I'll, I'll just, you know, if I'm prospecting just a piece of shrimp on that, just a small piece of shrimp, just cast it around. You'd be surprised. You can catch bait that way. You can catch eaters that way. You can catch indicator fish that way very easily. So, I mean, you do a, a little bit of prospecting, often in order. Good good advice right there for going to a new one. All right, so this one, you're going to have fun with this. How do you adjust your tactics for fishing when the bite isn't on fire? Scale down, scale back, look at different areas, change targets. You know, if you were told that, hey, the 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 bluefish are eating diamond jigs down on the second bar this week and you show up and it's not happening. Yeah. You can keep casting to kingdom come, or you can look around and look for a different target. Be like, you know what? Let me put on a fish finder rig. Let me put on a blind man rig, a knocker rig, um, a high low, whatever your go-to is for feeling around, bait it up with a couple pieces of shrimp, use a little bit lighter weight than you might for anchoring it to the bottom, you know, so it moves around a bit. That way you've got a bait moving you're you're searching out nice very it's very simple it, and and to me like i said yesterday i went down to la jolla the, the water was black with surf grass eel grass 
uh, giant kelp, California kelp, bull kelp was even in the mix. When you Good see that, you're like, well, well, you know, you know, let me throw the, let me throw a, a hydro minnow. Let me go throw the flash minnow. Yeah, good luck, dude. You better <laughs> change your targets. Kelp. You better change your hook size. You better scale down your hook. Your life is going to be, is going to be miserable, and you're going to turn around and leave. I ended with what eight or ten fish yesterday, including two I could have eaten. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's better than a stick to the eye. Yeah, well, absolutely. And for those of you who've never seen California kelp, <laughs> she thick. <laughs> she it is long. it is literally the fastest growing organism on earth. It is so cool. To see the giant kelp grows faster than anything else on the planet. It can grow eight or ten feet in a day, something like that. Ugh. It, just google it yeah just look it up you guys it, it's a very <laughs> impressive species and it's a very interesting it's it's such a great it's a great hider too i mean if you can get through it it's such a great habitat for fish oh All right, yeah last, go ahead yeah i was gonna say you can see you know if you skin dive here in southern california you'll see 60 80 90 food fish off of a single stringer that can reach the surface easy yeah it's such good camo for them it and it's good for the environment, so it works out. Uh, last question in this uh, category, and then we'll move into the social media after one more bait check. For seasons, uh, seasons are always going to play a factor. Summer and fall, or summer and winter, hot, high, you know, low, colds always play a factor. With fishing in SoCal, what have you noticed for the seasons? So for me, winter time is big fish time. That's when the big bass. That's when the big surf perch. That's when some of the biggest species come out to play, including uh, including bat rays, our bigger soup fin sharks. They all approach during the winter. So winter is big fish time. So it's time to settle down, get your mind right, pick your corner or your lay or your break, whatever it is you're doing, and, and get your mind in the game to present the baits. Because you might only get a couple of chances to hook a fish, but if you do, chances are good it's going to be a bass over 20 inches it's going to be the biggest surf tractor you've hooked this year it's going to be an opal eye in the two to four pound range when usually most guys catch them at six ounces that that that's the time that's that's the time when the surf perch are bulking up getting ready to give birth so you're you're big you're shot at the biggest black surf perch walleye surf perch um barred surf perch red tail surf perch up north your best chances during the winter on big fish during the summer it's a numbers game that's the time to drag out jigs, fast moving baits. That's when you're dragging out the jerk baits. That's when you're handling it. And you got to be used to these long sessions on the water, you know, and sometimes, sometimes the bait's going to cooperate. Sometimes it's not, but summer's the time to put numbers on the bank. Pretty simple. Spring and fall, those, tradi those transitional times, you know, you might have to pick some structure apart. You might have to change your targets. You might have to move to, to a different style than you usually do. Because those fish are going to be in transition. Lots Pretty of traffic, easy. though. Traffic and there's there's fun traffic in the transition times, though, from what you guys have, what I've heard in a couple episodes. That uh, you, you, you know where you're at. <laughs> I mean, so, sometimes you got to read between the lines a little bit. You know, it's, it's no different from fishing in Florida or someplace else. No, I mean, I hate our summer right now. It's we're in a weird transition summer because we're in a super hot one. So we're, we're dealing with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the creatures are going off deep. You know, you, you're in a better position to be on the pier and in the boats right now. You can still catch from the surf. It's just not as fun, but yeah, you know, winter time it turns into the cold desert and you just gotta, you just gotta adjust. Switch, switch targets. 
switch targets, start targeting some micros, start targeting some mini pelagics, start targeting, you know, you know what I mean? You know, guys are like, well, I'm not putting on a size 10 hook. Well, enjoy your blank. Enjoy the blank. <laughs> you got to be willing to, and like we started talking about in the beginning here, you can't, especially for us, you know, you can't walk to the beach in summer and be like, all right, I'm only targeting Pompano. You're going to have a really, really bad day because, you know, this is not ideal Pompano. You might catch one, sure, but you're, it's not going to be a day where you, you're going to rake in six to 12. It's not going to happen. And you just have to be under understanding that there's other stuff out there. We've got the jacks. If you throw metal, you're going to probably catch a jack. You'll probably catch a blue Spanish. You never know. If you get on the lucky one, you might find something that came in a little crazy. You never know. But if you go up with one fish in mind in your brain and you only set the fish with one fish in your mind, it doesn't matter where you are. You're not going to have as much fun and you're not going to have uh, the amount of success you could have if you were to just. Now, now, see, I would say that the Florida anglers are super lucky. Super lucky. <clears throat> you have a target you can chase that can peel drag 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 10 months of the year. I mean, maybe not during like the coldest days of February, March, right. late, late January. You have the sharks available to you. Yes. And I, and I get it. You hate them. They're terrible. They're a nuisance. But that is an untapped resource of drag pulling, jumping, craziness that you can tap into almost any time and 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 keep in mind <clears throat> that like in large parts of the world stingrays are a game fish they're a yeah. catch and release fish <laughs> they, they really are and i mean you can hate on saltwater catfish or whatever but all, at the end of the day all those saltwater catfish you can peel them and fry them if you wanted to yes you there's can. no problem they don't taste terrible there's nothing especially bad about them i, I mean you, you can hate it or you can embrace it and you can go out and lay a beat down. Hey, I caught five black tips today. <laughs> you know, I, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Hey, I hooked a six foot, I hooked a six foot nurse shark and I unhooked it in wasty water today. Hey, you don't understand how blessed you are. You're so blessed that you have forgotten how blessed you are. <laughs> See, that's why I'm fortunate for this. Cause it's me. I just like fishing. So yeah, yeah me too, man. I, the, I don't mind catching some sergeant majors. I don't mind catching what is that fish you have down there that's like a rock rass, the slippery dick. Yeah. yeah the, the, the most yeah. hated micro fish of all time. But you could catch them all day, every day, if you wanted to. Yeah. You could I catch till you till the cows come home. <clears throat> Everybody's got to find a way to complain about something, though. Isn't that the truth? Mm. Well, right. I, I always I always joke here about, oh, but that's not yellowtail. So you need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I always joke about because that, that's the attitude. Oh, it's just, it's yellowtail or nothing. Like, what's wrong with you, dude? We got 170 species out here, <laughs> and you're whining about one, one and only one. And that's what I want is one. Enjoy that's that's all one. that there is. Okay, I'm not some worthless scrub kook. Okay, you got that? <laughs> you scrub kooks can go pound sand. <clears throat> yep. All right, well, let's get this bait check and then we'll move. Whoops, we'll move into the fun parts here. We'll mock into the social media and closers. Ah, oh, that was such a fun day. Every time I look at that bait check, it just brings me back to a happy place of great water and great times, man. That was a fun fish. 
Yeah, that was a real fun fish, actually. All right, this final bait check is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. NinjaTackleVA.com. You can get your hands on the old Ninja Daggers. You guys know I use them. I love them from the seven-footer where I use it in the surf all the way to inshore. I've used it numerous different times. Throws great, great response all the way up to the 13-foot uh, size. Lots of great things in with the rods. He's also got reels and rigs bait you name it he's got it and if you're into firearms and firearm accessories ninja tactical if you need ar accessories glock parts and pieces optics those stuff he's got it in there so ninja tackle va.com great one-stop shop mm-hmm. yes it is <laughs> all right so let's move into the social media side of this thing here what made you want to start uh into the social media game i mean you've got youtube you've got tiki talk you've got it all um, the only one I don't do is Instagram just because I don't like the algorithm over there, but, uh, I, I do have a TikTok, I do have a YouTube and I do have a Twitter. So <clears throat> what I found over the years is that Twitter is really weather friendly. I'm out there in it all day, every day. I work outside, live outside, play outside. So I get all kinds of time-lapse stuff and weather related stuff, clouds, whatever I can find, uh, sunrise, sunsets. I post all that on Twitter cause it does real well. On TikTok, you'll see a you'll see a mismatch of all kinds of nature related content. Um, could be mushrooms in a lawn, or could be a thunderhead building over East County, or you know, fishing, or just weird animals, or kelp holdfasts, or whatever I find when I'm out walking around. I'll post that on TikTok, and then uh, uh, YouTube's mostly most mostly fishing only, but uh, you know, I might sprinkle some other stuff in there, like trapping stuff or other whatnot scattered in there. And although I have a rumble, I haven't really posted over there. I put a halt on everything till they get their monetization all squared away over there. So, so for those of you who believe in the one A, two A, three A, you will you will be able to find me on Rumble sooner rather than later, I suspect. But I'm just waiting for them to settle down and find a nice, calm, even thing. But the origins of all this, um, it's kind of a serious topic, I guess. But I found out I basically have uncontrollable blood pressure. Okay. So to be really high and they put me on medication, I go so low, I almost die. Holy crap. That's not good. So, you know, I'm a father of two. So I wanted my kids to be able to find at least some vestige of the old man out there somewhere, you know, just in case. And and I work a really dangerous job where I can die every day. It's nuts. And uh, although all that's going to be changing, I think, in the coming months for me, I might be a lot closer to where you are now than where I am now Mm. in coming months. So who knows how that'll work out. But uh, I might be I might be uh, transitioning to a very different lifestyle than the one I have now very soon. Um, So I, I wanted I wanted to have a presence online so that my kids could remember some of their good times with me and you know, just get some fatherly wisdom. That's one of the big reasons I've been such a contributor to Fishy Hour. Um, and actually, I'll be taking over this week on Fishy Hour. So if you want my hot take on the offshore, you can check me out over there on Wednesday at 7. Wednesdays at 7 the next few weeks. Nice. Um, make sure that's linked. Yeah. F- Fishy Hour. Ro- Roman's, a, Roman's a great dude. And we have a great time on there when I'm on. And, you know, uh, Brian mostly does bay fishing for bay bass and sand bass and stuff. So. You know, if you're if you're into that or if you're in our local community here, you're welcome to, to join us over on Fish Hype. We'll give you a discord if you want to go to the discord for us. We're a tight knit group of dudes that come together and lady, a few ladies, too. 
we have a good time at cookouts and uh, the Mad Max pickle run where they launch from Mission Bay and come in via San Diego Bay on kayaks. So, That's yeah, it's su- yeah, super fun stuff. We have all kinds of events, barbecues, award shows, everything with them over there. So we, we, we have a great time. It's a great group of people and we're there for each other. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, this all kind of started a number of years back. I've had my YouTube channel a long time. Um, I'm closing in on 2000 subscribers over there. It's been a long journey, but, uh, yeah, it's, it kind of started as a way for me to preserve a little something for my kids. If they ever wanted to see their old man, you know, in case I just fall over my heart attack or tractor trailer retread gets me out on the freeway somewhere sometime or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that kind of all started there. And, you know, my buddy, my buddy Sven, who talked to you. Uh, he, he's, you know, he got me into TikTok. He's like, Hey, you're out there. You see nature all day, every day. Why don't you, why don't you just start a TikTok and start posting all the footage you've already got. So I, I've been doing that. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm just into being outside really. Sounds like, I, it. I mean, weather and I've, I've always loved reptiles. I did uh, professional animal, animal handling for seven or eight years as a young man. That's a whole different thing. I've been bit 13 times by venomous snakes. Uh, I've, uh, uh, I've I've been around. I've seen a few things. You know, I've, I've done this, that, and the other. But, uh, you know, just kind of leaving something something for the kids online for them to laugh at. You know, if the old man buys it somewhere someday. It's kind of how it all started. Well, hey, kids, yeah, save this video come back you get to hear dad talk about it all so now you know why now you know <laughs> what would you say has been one of the biggest lessons learned after running all your channels on social media on all these different outlets if you want my advice to somebody starting out this is what i would tell you drop short form content drop lots of short form content one every single freaking day if you can because it'll it'll grow your listenership more than anything else now, those people won't care about your long-form videos. They won't tune in for your long-form videos, but it's important to have that presence for the algorithm. That's what I would tell you. That's something you need to do, Mr. Demo. Yeah, I know. Something you I need to do. You need I to start need to dropping short-form content. I, I need to start doing video is what it is, and I've been avoiding it for the length of the channel. Now, as you can see, we're starting it. Hey, who knew? Well, <laughs> I'm telling you now, you live somewhere where you have uh, those little green things in your yard? Yeah. Put them on TikTok, put them on YouTube shorts so that you can gain a following because it's real easy to get to that 4,000 hours, right? So you can get monetized. Well, I shouldn't say it's super easy, but most guys, most people who do long form content reach that 4,000 hours and 28, 28 days way before they approach the thousand subscribers. So the subscribers right, is what's yeah. going to hold you back on YouTube. It's what's going to keep you out of the algorithm on TikTok and Twitter too, from what I can tell. So drop short form content every single day across all platforms where you want to be active. That's the first thing I can tell you. The second thing, don't worry about your quality at first. It's, it's volume over quality by a long mile for you for you first starting out. And the reason I say this is very simple. Volume matters. You're dealing with a machine learning program that doesn't know you and doesn't care about you. It doesn't care how much quality you have. It doesn't care how great your cuts are. It doesn't care how amazing that B-roll is. It doesn't care about any of that. It's looking at numbers. 
So drop your one long form content a week, every week or two, or every couple of days if you can manage it. But make sure you're dropping short form content as often as possible. Certainly no more, no, no less often than every other day. You want you want your channel to grow, you want to grow your brand, find something interesting to say, say it every other day at the bare minimum. So many people have been not doing what you're saying, especially the ones that are primarily YouTubers. They, oh, all right, I'm going to step on some of my dicks here. They have a tendency, <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. They hear, they heard the part that you said about the shorts, because that was that one that like when shorts blew up, shorts was amazing. And then they, everybody gained all these things. They're like, well, nobody's watching my long form content. It's like, well, yeah, okay. They were into the short, you know, the poop, the poop scroll is the poop scroll. People want to be entertained, but you can't give up the long form content. You just, you can't it in sustainability in long term. It will pay off dividends in the long run, but yeah, the short piece huge. And yes, I have failed that, but I know that, um, but yes, you, you nailed it on the head with those pieces. And that's great advice, man. If anyone's not taking it, I think that's short-sighted. Well, I mean, keep in mind, I've been in the game a long time. I watched how YouTube's changed over the years. Like I've had a yeah. channel for five or six years now. And and really, and really, it really was for my kids or like for my family or even myself to have a laugh at myself. And it wasn't really until I got more serious about short form content that I started growing my audience and I really started bumping my hours up and stuff. So, I mean, if there's just a few pieces of advice I give to somebody starting out, <clears throat> post often. You might be like, oh, this clip is garbage and I'm only going to get 500 views on it or 200 views. Post it. Keep yourself in the machine. Keep yourself in the rotation so you're being recommended to people. On TikTok, I find it's really vital that I like as much crap as I can that's relevant to me. The more yeah. stuff I like, the more I'm in their feeds, the more I get followers, the more I get view time. Simple. It's, you're already doing it, right? You're already sitting there. Yep. It works. And it's true. Likes, drop, drop some likes on your way by on any content you want to see more of in the future. TikTok's algorithm is really responsive. Like, it'll start feeding back to you what you like real quick. Like, within, within a couple of minutes, it'll start kicking. Yeah. And on the accidental likes too. Yep, accidental worry. likes too. Believe me, I'm trying to exit a loop on the accidental like thing. Like I accidentally liked some videos that had no views, and all of a sudden I'm inundated with absolute garbage. But mm -hmm. there's nothing for it but to just move <laughs> forward, start start being a little more picky about the content you like. You know, like those fishing videos, the people hoisting fish, the weather, whatever it is you're into. And don't forget that, like across plat, if you're out there fishing. And there's a thunderhead forming in front of you and it forms a water spout that's tens of thousands of views on a platform like twitter whereas youtube might not care so if, you, if you're across platforms find what works for you that lizard bobbing its head on the rock next to the trailer at my wife's work got seven thousand views on tiktok really <laughs> yeah, this lizard was doing push-ups and, and she didn't yeah. care that I was there and like the male was there trying to protect her from me. I got thousands of views. Oh, Absolutely man. stupid. I, I mean, a couple of lizards next to a trailer on a piece of concrete. But it worked. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so just a quick plug to my buddy John at Cast and Spear. He grew from 9,000 to like 30, 40,000 over the course of like four or five months by dropping three shorts every single day on YouTube. 
Oh wow, that's a that's a quick turn. Yeah, it was nuts. Like he turned it around, and he went for it, and he used he absolutely maximized the leverage of shorts when shorts were rising to popularity. He's really good at that, actually. And actually, he's got some good content anyway. But like the the guy figured out figured out the TikTok algorithm in like five seconds after he joined, and he's got hundreds of thousands of followers there. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, see, that, that, those are the ones that are always fun. It was kind of like that uh, um, Salt Squatch uh, over here. He has been brilliant in that game, and uh, he, he's mentioned a lot of the same things when it comes to shorts and the algorithms. But, yeah, seeing somebody blow up very quickly out of that is it, it's impressive. It really is, and it's just the system will move things through. If you, if you feed it, it'll feed you. Yeah, and it's wild because there's a lot of power in just staying in the algorithm. Even if you post something and only gets a hundred views, you're like, well, that was a fail. I'm not going to do that. Don't because that could turn around. That could help you keep you in the algorithm. So your next video gets three to 5,000 very easily. Yeah. My, my number one video is a fish the size of my hand. That was brilliant blue that I threw off of a break wall. 30,000 views. That's a win. That's a super yeah. win right there. I mean, it took me 10 seconds to make that video. I couldn't have <laughs> predicted that it would do that, but it took it's me always, 10 seconds to make that video. It's always that one too, isn't it? It's the one video you're like, nah, that's not going to do anything. Holy crap. What the hell? And and you know what? So so we have three sea chubs here in Southern California. We have the opalite, the half moon, and the zebra perch. Opalite are kind of viewed as a nuisance fish, but I love eating them. So to, to me, opalite is straight money. But for some reason, my sea chub videos get two to three times what any of my game fish videos get, and I don't know why. So just because you're like, oh, this is a crap fish, who cares? That might be 30,000 views you just left on that you threw back with a fish the size of your hand that had a nice blue stripe down the back. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Just saying. If, 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 if the fish is there in your hand, and you have a phone in your other hand. How long does it take you to say, hey, look, it's a, I don't know, what would be down there by you? Sorry, hey, look, it's a Sergeant Major or a Slippery Dick or, <laughs> oh, this hard-headed catfish is venomous. Look at this this spine right here. Then you throw it back in the water. That could be 10,000 views. You never know. Yeah, that's true. Well, let me get you these last questions and get you out of here for the night. We'll hit into the closing section. Uh, so the first one is, is uh you, you kind of already did, but I'm going to do it anyway. What knowledge would you give to a brand new angler starting out in the surf fishing game? Start out small. Don't worry about the long rods. Don't worry about the big reels. Don't worry about all the braid backing. Don't worry about casting 100 yards. Don't worry about that. Start out small. Get, get some smaller hooks. Get some chunks of shrimp, squid, mussel, ghost shrimp, sand fleas. What? As you would call them, we would call them... Uh, Man, I'm drawing a blank here. Sand crabs is what the we call crab. them. Yeah. Yeah, sand crab. And learn, just 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 do some basic research on the common rigs used where you are. Now, the rigs where you are are probably used because they work. I, I mean, I hate to tell you this, but people usually don't use rigs that don't work. What I do is a little specialized with the whole spider hitch thing. I get it. I, I find it to be a very versatile rig where I can hang my bait very precisely off bottom a couple inches. So that's why I do that. It's very snag resistant. But if you're fishing Ocean Beach, maybe a fish finder, a Carolina, even a cork. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, to me, corks are very underutilized in beach fishing down there. They create a tremendous amount of surface commotion for fish to come check out. That and a small bucktail tipped with shrimp will get you an awful lot of species in the surf down there, Florida, Carolinas, Outer Banks. And it's not a rig I see used very often, so take it for what it's worth. I'm always wary of the guys that use the same exact set of baits because I feel like they're trying to sell you that Lucky Craft, that Gulp Minnow, that whatever. They're trying to sell you on a rig. They're trying to sell you on a bait. Um, for new anglers, it can be really confusing. They go down to the tackle shop. They get some big round reel. They fill it to the rim with braid, and they wonder why they struggle. Just find some gear you're comfortable with in your hand. Learn to do a reasonable cast. You don't need to cast 125 when you're starting out. Focus on structure. That'll help a lot. You know, if you fish the beach right next to the jetty, there's always fish there. Always. Doesn't matter if you're in California. It doesn't matter if you're in Florida. It doesn't matter if you're in Panama. Those areas will always hold fish. So if you use a smaller hook, a piece of shrimp, you know, I, I'd say your odds are really good at catching fish regardless of what your rig is like. Focus on those basics. Look where the wave starts starts breaking first. Watch where it breaks last. Look for dark water. Look for light water. Because that'll tell you what's going on in front of you. You know, particularly in surf and cliff fishing. Cliff fishing is a little more dynamic than surf fishing, but it's the same set of principles. You're looking for somewhere something can either ambush or push a bait up against or where a bait gets washed off and dropped to them. That's what you're looking for. It's and None of this is complicated. This doesn't have to be difficult. You know, structure can be liquid. It can be hard. You're looking for anything different. When you first start out, be mobile. Be flexible. You know what? You're getting you're getting the bait nibbled off. Scale down to to a size ten and catch the bait thief. See what see what you have going on. You don't have anything to lose. What's the what's the worst possible outcome you have at the end of the day? You have, you have some dinner on the plate. And most any fish from anywhere in the world you are is edible, okay? I'm sorry. I, I know that there's trash fish and all this other shit. It's bull, okay? It's bull. The rock rass here are just as edible as the slippery dick in Florida. Just as edible. You, you know, yeah, there are some exceptions like moray eels. Some places carry ciguatera. You know, barracuda might have ciguatera some places. If you're worried about a fish making you sick, pick a smaller one. That three-quarter to two-pound class of fish, perfectly edible 99.999% of the time. I don't give I don't care what it is. I don't care what part of the world you're in. You catch a fish that weighs less than two pounds, it's a chance of having ciguatera is near zero. Simple. <laughs> Keep it that. simple. Dial it back. You know, use a smaller hook if you have to. Use a lighter weight. You know, that eight-ounce weight, those fish might be dropping that bait before that you ever feel they're there. Whereas a half ounce weight that you can cast, you know, a third as far, they might pick it up and not even know it's there. And you might hook eight fish out of 10. Ooh, that's a good one. That's I mean, one. I'm just saying, it was just, just being obvious. Well, that's, but that's, see that the funny part is, is that obvious? Not a lot of people will follow. And I mean this in the best way, because you guys, anybody, you guys watch the show, you know what I use, you know, my normal setups, but on that same one, 
somebody starting out like i made the mistake when i came down here i instantly grabbed the four ounce weight i instantly grabbed the double dropper and with the big beads and all these things because it's what i'd heard it's what i'd seen i didn't spend the extra time to ask more questions i was too excited i was like i'm gonna go catch fish <laughs> oh i'm gonna do this and sure enough i got lucky but that's only because a hurricane had just come through screwed the whole structure up and i caught a red drum i'm the weirdest way and i was like all right cool i guess i can do this all day um thankfully i've learned my lessons and i've become a little bit better of an angler and i'm a little bit smarter but when you're excited it's easy to make those mistakes take your make the greatest point take your time start off on that and dial it back if you have to it's not a problem to dial back it can be a pain in the dick to go up but it's a little easier to go down yeah oh, i mean man. i mean light lighter leaders loop nuts smaller hooks lighter weights lighter gear you might be like those West Coast guys don't know what they're talking about when they use those those stupid SST rods. Some of the most successful anglers I know fish a sand crab on a blind man rig or a knocker or a Carolina, and they fish it on a nine foot SST and they use four pound test and they catch these corbina as long as they're armed. They give them an absolute workout. If you want to know what a corbina is like, imagine a white fish times five. That can take hundred yard runs. <laughs> It's a whiting on steroids. It's the, yeah, pretty much dude. one of the best ways somebody explained it to me. I was like, oh, all right, I want one. Cor Corbina are nuts, and they're very line shy. They're very rig shy. If they see anything off, they won't bite. They just won't. I know guys that use 64 ounce, 164th ounce sliding weights on a knocker rig with a sand crab to just bury the front of the sand crab in the sand. And they watch these massive corpina come up behind and eat it, and then they're in for the ride. So Ben up at uh, American Sea Fishing, he's north of you. He's uh, up, uh, I think he's Dana Point. Um, he was talking about that with the corbinas, and especially, you know, I was like, they are brilliant. They are smart. They watch. They know what to look for. They're very finicky. They they pay attention to what's out there. So, yeah, when you're talking about the, the going down to four pound, people are like, oh, what the hell? Again, four pounds in the water is not four pounds on the shore. It is all about drag manipulation and being smart thrust versus ratio. Mm, you don't have to get yep. crazy with it. But, yeah, that was that was fun listening from Ben on that. I mean, I, I, I just I believe in the kiss principle. If you don't know what's going on, a size six hook and a weight less than an ounce and a piece of shrimp on there. And salt that shrimp, cut it, cut the shrimp into chunks and salt it if you're having problems with bait thieves. Yep. I, I mean, it, it's, pre it's pretty, pretty self-explanatory, pretty easy. <laughs> well, last question for you and we'll get you out of here. What's next for you, man? Well, serious changes are coming to my life. So I think that my time here in SoCal is beginning to expire. Whether I end up in Arkansas or Florida remains to be seen. But no matter where I'm at, I can almost guarantee you that I will figure out a way to put that magical three-quarter pound to two-pound fish in a frying pan and get it cooked. That's weird. I'm, uh, it, it's my style. It's what I do. You know, I do lots of catch and release and stuff and micro fishing too. But it won't be very long, I think. To have some fish in a frying pan, laying in a bath of either butter or bacon fat, and uh, whether it's breaded or not, or you know, there's some other factors there. Whether I serve it over potatoes, rice, or corn, um, <laughs> I strongly suspect that wherever I, where whatever happens to me from this point forward, 
I'll end up with some fish taking a bath and some uh, hot oil and uh, hot animal fat, I should say. And uh, <clears throat> I imagine I'll be eating that. Uh, well, we look forward to watching it because I know I definitely will and it'll be fun. But coach, man, you've been great, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing all this knowledge. It's been an absolute blast, man. It really has. Well, let me know if you ever want to have me on or you got something specific for me or, you know, or, you know, hey, you know, people in the comment section, drop some stuff. If, if, you know, if you want to see me on, you know, drop a comment. You know, I'm happy to come on. I'm happy to spend some time. If you're a rookie or, you know, hey, we're going to go go to Lake of the Ozarks. What do I do? I got you, bro. I got you. <laughs> so, I mean. I, I fished it all at one time or another, more or less, you know, minus a few things like commercial fishing halibut in Alaska. I didn't do that. But I mean, hey, I caught snake mackerel in the Indian Ocean on a commercial rig. So I, I've seen a few things in my time and I might have some insight that'll help you. I might not, but I might have some insight that'll help you. So hit me up on my channel. Hit me up hit me up over here. I'm finding demo. I, I mean, hey, look forward to hearing from you. Happy to talk again anytime. This was awesome. You let me know, brother. Oh, it'll happen. It's definitely happening. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Peace, my dude. Later. All right, everybody. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I know. I mean, on video, it's cool. You get to see me smiling. And I know you guys didn't normally see me do video as much, but it is happening more and more. And I am glad that I got to do it this way. Coach is great. Lots of fun stuff. All the social media stuff will be linked back on findingdemosurfishing.com on the website, but it'll also be on the Transistor website. You'll be able to get that. We'll have all the links hyperlinked back. Look them up. W-E-R-F-T.TV. Easy way to find them that way. But again, links will be all set. If you got questions for him, hey, he just told you how to get in touch with them not hard right lots of good stuff thanks for sticking around it's been awesome always love seeing you guys i'm thankful every week you're here if this helped you don't forget to share it out to somebody you never know you might have just made their uh fishing adventure a whole lot easier you've been listening to finding demo surf fishing i'm out <laughs> <laughs>